Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Ship show. Well, we've been having quite a bit of volatility in the U.S. stock market with back-to-back triple-digit moves in opposite directions. Yesterday, the Dow was up uh, well over 100 points, I think closer to 200. But today, the Dow Jones was down better than 100 points. So between the two days, it was still positive. But we'll see what happens tomorrow. We did get some worse-than-expected news after the bell on IBM. I'm seeing the stock down close to 5% in after-hours trading, and that could set the tone for some weakness tomorrow. Goldman Sachs uh, helped set a weak tone today. They came out with their earnings earlier in the day, in the morning, and Goldman Sachs stock was down close to 5%. You know, what was more interesting about Goldman Sachs was not their earnings missing, but the fact that they are now uh, throwing in the towel on their long-term recommendation to buy the dollar. And of course, the dollar has been strong over the past few years, although really since March of last year, the dollar has gone sideways. It did make a marginal new high during the Trump mania, right after Trump won the election, but only against a few currencies, not against all currencies. And the dollar index today, in fact, was down sharply. We closed at about 99 50. The strongest currency today was the pound sterling, which was actually up about three full cents, just shy of three cents against the dollar, two and a quarter percent move, a major move up today on the pound. But the dollar was also down against the euro, down against the yen. It was up against some of the commodity currencies, which had been stronger uh, you know, during the year. But dollar index 99 and a half, not at a new low for the year. Remember, it traded below 99, I think a couple of weeks ago. But it looks to me like the dollar is topped out, and it probably looks that way to Goldman Sachs because Goldman Sachs is saying, hey, this is no longer you know, our top recommendation. It was like a conviction trade you know, by the dollar. Why? Because everybody assumed the dollar was going to go up. 
because the Fed is hiking rates. Oh, we're getting all this economic stimulus. We're going to get tax cuts. We're going to get infrastructure stimulus. Whatever it was, everybody was certain the dollar was going to go up. Remember, I said it was the most crowded trade out there at the end of last year. Now it's going to be slightly less crowded because Goldman Sachs is is leaving, although they're not necessarily saying the dollar is going to tank. They're just not out there pounding the table that people ought to buy it. But I think it does represent maybe one domino, and there's many, many more to come. And of course, Goldman, I don't think, has any idea exactly how weak the dollar is going to get, because they're not actually telling people to short the dollar yet. They're just telling people not to not to go long. But ultimately, the short trades are going to come. We continue to get weaker economic data. Uh, that came out again today. We had weaker than expected uh, housing starts. Uh, we had weaker than expected news on factory orders. In fact, if you look at this economic surprise index, this macroeconomic surprise index, today it posted its biggest decline in about seven years. And this is where people were surprised because the data was much worse than had been expected. I mean, after all, look at the Atlanta Fed, which is still estimating Q1 GDP to be just 0.5, right? When they were looking at 3.4 in early February, they're now down to 0.5. Obviously, there was a lot of economic news that came out that surprised people by how bad it was. And in fact, the surprises are going to keep on uh, coming because the news is going to get a lot worse. And all of this false optimism, all of this hope that Trump was somehow going to be a panacea and that all the problems that got him elected were going to go away simply because he was elected, as that reality sets in and disappointment uh, permeates the markets, uh, then these numbers are going to get even worse. On the other hand, gold prices were up again today, gold trading above 1290 intraday. I think we closed just below 1290 12.89 and change but this was the highest close of the year for gold gold was up again on monday you know gold stocks though were down today and they were down on monday and this is another divergence and remember i pointed out this divergence earlier in the year in february when gold was making new highs and gold stocks were going down and at that point i thought that the gold stocks were probably indicating a correction was coming in the price of gold and that I thought the correction would be very shallow. And that is exactly what happened. We did have a shallow correction in the price of gold, which has been completely eradicated because now gold is higher than it was at its high point before that correction. So there is no correction in the price of gold, but gold stocks are still deep in correction territory. They are well off their levels uh, from February this year. But I do not believe that this divergence is signaling another correction in the price of gold. I think the correction in the price of gold is over. I do think there is some psychological resistance, you know, right around this 1300 level. But I think we're going to blow through it and we're going to have a quick march up to 1350. And I think the reason that these gold stocks are not moving is we are climbing a very steep wall of worry here because there is not a lot of conviction in the gold traders. They still don't get it. They still think the rate hikes are bullish for the dollar and bearish for gold. You know, they're still sidetracked by Trump making America great again. And, and, and so I think that they need gold prices to move higher, to move through this 1300 uh, barrier to get the traders back on board again. So I think this time 
if you're thinking that there's going to be a correction in the price of gold because we had uh, a, a bit of a divergence, I think that trade already played out and it's not going to be repeated. So I think at this point, I would just be buying these gold stocks because I think the gold stocks are wrong. I think that gold traders are just being too timid and they don't appreciate the explosive nature of the rally that I think is in our immediate future here in the price of gold. Bloomberg ran a very interesting article yesterday that really, you know, supports my primary thesis for global investing and decoupling. I put the article up on my Facebook page. The title was China Roars Back to Lift Global Outlook as U.S. Consumers Weaken. And the article focuses on the fact that the Chinese economy is restructuring. Here, I'm going to read directly from the article. The Chinese economy is in the midst of a major structural shift away from its past reliance on heavy manufacturing and export-led growth towards services and consumer demand. And the article goes on and talks about how the Chinese economy and the Chinese consumer is also going to have positive effects for other emerging market economies, for commodities. And this is exactly my thesis, that the Chinese are going to rely less on selling stuff to Americans because we don't actually pay for the stuff that we buy. And they are going to focus more on consuming domestically the things that they produce. And that is going to uh, be very beneficial for Chinese consumers because they have a lot more utility from their manufactured goods than they get from our treasury bonds. Uh, so, But this is a big shift. And I think now, too, with Donald Trump you know, threatening all these economies, foreign economies, you know, don't manipulate your currency, right? Don't just start printing money and, and buying up dollars and buying up treasuries. I think they are actually being encouraged to do what they should have done a long time ago anyway, which is let the dollar fall, stop exporting for the sake of accumulating U.S. treasuries, and start focusing on a consumption, production to finance domestic consumption. You don't want to export to accumulate dollars. You want to produce more goods and services so that your citizens can enjoy a higher standard of living. And I think that is going to be the focus on the Chinese economy. And we're going to see the Chinese economy growing even as the U.S. economy contracts. And this will also have positive implications for the rest of the emerging markets, for commodities in general, and have dire implications for the U.S. dollar and for the American standard of living that is built on the uh, foundation of an overvalued dollar. And that's part of the irony of what the Trump administration is calling for. They want the dollar to go down because they think that somehow that's going to help our exports. And they don't realize how much the overvalued dollar has been artificially subsidizing our standard of living. Now, of course, as I said, Trump is absolutely right. We need to have a a production-based economy. We can't continue to run a debt-financed, a service sector economy where we import all the products that we can't produce because that is an unsustainable model for the very reason that you're seeing now with China. If China is going to try to move away from exporting goods on credit to the United States and focus more on domestic uh, related economic activities so that the Chinese can, you know, enjoy the fruits of their labor 
rather than allowing those fruits to be consumed by Americans, right, that then we have a big plunge in our standard of living. So it's right for Trump to understand this problem and want to do something about it. But it's wrong to assume that this is going to result in instant improvement in the American standard of living or in an instant boost to our economy. It is not. There is going to be a lot of pain required to enjoy the long-term gain, and nobody has prepared anybody for it. Nobody believes this. And I think at the first economic downturn, and you know, we are very, very close to recession, if not already in recession. And I do not believe that the Trump administration politically is going to be looking for big cuts in government spending in a recession. I believe that the Keynesian strategy will once again win the day. I mean, that is the most politically expedient and popular remedy for any economic downturn. So I do believe that as this recession unfolds, or even as we get close enough to it, that the powers that be begin to fear it, that we are going to get another big Keynesian stimulus of increased government spending and some uh, tax cuts, which will send the budget deficit through the roof and that will send the dollar through the floor. And this time, as the dollar goes down, it is eventually going to take the bond market with it. But right now, we're having another rally in the bond market. You know, interest rates are falling because people are starting to worry about the weakening U.S. economy, right? The growth story is going away. And in some places, so is this reflation story. Because people think, well, if the economy sinks back into recession, there goes the inflation. The inflation is going to stay even if the economy goes into recession. That's stagflation. We don't need a growing economy to have inflation. I've been making this point all along. In fact, growing economies limit inflation because they lead to more production. They lead to greater supply. It's weak economies that fuel inflation, especially, you know, when you have the central banks that are printing all the money. The fact that you have a weak economy that leads to a reduction in supply. So you have more money chasing fewer goods, which means prices accelerate even faster in a weak economy than they would in a strong economy. But since most people don't get that, you're seeing this rise in bond prices because so many people who were expecting lots of economic growth have now got cold water in their face. They see that the growth is not there. So the dollar is going down and bonds are going up. But eventually, and when the crisis really starts, is going to be when bonds really start to sink, even with economic data. Because then the bond traders start to realize that even though the economy is weak, inflation is strong. And then our bond holders, our creditors, will start to worry about the value of the dollar because we have a lot of foreign creditors and they're not going to want to get paid in depreciated currency. But even American holders of U.S. Treasuries, when they start to appreciate how high inflation is, right, they're not going to want to loan money to the U.S. government for an extended period of time at very low interest rates when those interest rates don't even come close to covering what they're losing due to the increase in the cost of living. At that point, of course, the only buyer for our paper is the Federal Reserve, and then the whole process spirals out of control. And I think only at that point will the Trump administration potentially consider real 
economic forms, really breaking from the past tradition of Keynesian stimulus and cover up the problems with more inflation. Because I don't think we're going to be saved the way we were in 2008 by a dollar rally, because the dollar is going to be the crisis. It's not going to be you know, the subprime crisis. It's not the mortgage market that people are going to be worried about, but the treasury bond market. People are going to be worried about the credit worthy of the United States, not necessarily that they're going to default, although maybe some people will start to think of default as a possibility. But I think the more probable outcome that's going to scare our creditors is going to be inflation and dollar depreciation. And so ultimately, that is going to force the, the government to do the right thing. But prior to that, it's all going to be about politics and doing what's expedient and doing what people thought worked before. Remember, everybody thought that what the Fed did in 08 and 09, they all thought it worked. That's why you had that huge rally in the dollar. That's why Ben Bernanke was able to write that book and go on the victory tour, because everybody believed that what the Fed did worked. The problem is all the people who believed it worked were all the people who never understood the problem in the first place. That's why they were blindsided by what happened in 2008. And then they got fooled into thinking the Fed solved the problem. But since I understood the problem and I warned about the problem years in advance, I understand that everything the Federal Reserve did simply made the problem worse. And now we're going to get the real crisis. It's kind of like, you know, there's a hurricane and we, we pass through the first part of the hurricane in 2008. And everybody thinks the storm is gone. And what we've really been in is in the eye of this hurricane. And we're about to come into the other half of it. And it's going to be a much more powerful half. You know, had we simply uh, done the right thing in 08 and 09, uh, the problems, you know, would have been dealt with when they were smaller. And they were still enormous. I mean, don't get me wrong. But now they have grown to a gargantuan level. Because it has taken so long, because we, you know, we had so much extra time, we compounded these problems to a degree that I never even thought possible when I was writing my book, Crash Proof, back in 2005 and, and 2006. So because it's taken so long, because we've extended this thing, and of course, because we've extended it so long, that's why so many people ultimately believed, oh, Peter, you know, I've been following you for years, and, you know, I guess you're wrong because, you know, the dollar hasn't collapsed. Yeah, it hasn't collapsed yet. But all of the factors that I believed would lead to its collapse are not only still present, but they loom larger than ever. And so now I think the dollar collapse is going to be bigger than ever because the problems are so much bigger. You know, if you want to call me, I guess, a perma bear, and the reason I even think about this is I mentioned um, on my last podcast that I was on CNBC. And they brought me on, and again, they brought on uh, Scott Nations. And they brought me on there. And, you know, watch, if you, if you didn't watch the, the uh, interview, it's up on my YouTube channel. And if you actually look at the interview, I mean, I, I, I think I, I, I really held my own against this guy. In fact, if you look at most of the comments, of course, they're biased because they're on my site. But I clearly, I clearly got the better of Nations in this exchange. But if you read the headline, you would think that, you know, that, that, that he clobbered me because the headline that CNBC chose when they wrote an article about this was Trader Rips Permabear uh, Peter Schiff on the facts. Like so like he ripped me with the facts. But the interesting thing is or the, the, the shows you how they think is 
he gets called a traitor. So Scott Nations is a traitor. Yet I'm a perma bear. Well, why am I a perma bear? What makes me a perma bear? I mean, when you talk about somebody who's a perma bear, it generally refers to somebody who's always bearish on the U.S. stock market. I'm not always bearish on the U.S. stock stock market. I mean, I've been bullish more often than I've been bearish on the U.S. stock market. Although, just because I'm bullish on the U.S. stock market doesn't mean I tell people to invest in it if I'm more bullish on foreign markets, right? And generally, that's the case. I tell people, yes, I think the U.S. stock market will go up in nominal terms, but I think foreign stocks will go up more. So just buy those. If you're bullish on stocks, you know, you can invest internationally instead of investing domestically. But that doesn't mean I am bearish. Bearish on U.S. stocks means you think the U.S. market is going to go down. And most of the time, I think the U.S. market is going to go up. It's just that I believe the U.S. dollar is going to go down, right? Now, there are occasions over the last, you know, seven, eight years, whatever, that I've been bearish on the U.S. stock market, like now. I think the U.S. stock market is going to go down now. I mean, I think it's more likely to fall than rise. But I've said many times, I don't expect it to crash. I don't even expect the bear market. What I expect to happen is the Fed to do something to indicate to the market that it's not going to tighten as much as the market thinks or do something to save the market. And then the market will go back up. I think the market will probably go up and make a new high. But I do believe that we're going to have a correction. And I have thought that way over the years. There have been times where I've been bullish and there's been times where I thought the market would correct. Now, some of the times where I thought it would correct, I was right. Not all the time. Sometimes we didn't get the correction and then I, you know, and then we went up. But I've never told people to short U.S. stocks because I don't think it's it, it's a good trade. I mean, if I was a perma bear, I would be telling people to short stocks. But why does CNBC want to label me a perma bear? Because they want to discredit me. Because everybody can see, well, the Dow is at 20,000 and change. And if Schiff has always been bearish, well, he must be wrong. But I haven't always been bearish. Even when I've been telling people to invest in foreign stocks instead of the U.S. stock market, I wasn't saying the U.S. stock market was going to go down. In fact, I've had arguments with people, you know, like Harry Dent, who is, you know, he's he's a pretty big bear on the stock market. He's been saying Dow's 6,000. I've been saying he's wrong. It's not going to go down there. The market's not going to tank because the Federal Reserve is not going to let it tank. Now, you may be able to call me, and this is what I wanted to bring up, a perma bear with respect to the dollar. I have been bearish consistently on the U.S. dollar for a long time. In fact, I've been bearish on the dollar since 1999, 2000, during that last bubble. And it is lower today than it was then. But we did have a pretty big rise in the dollar in 2014, 2015. So, you know, I didn't predict that rise, but it happened. But I do believe that that rise is just a counter trend rally. I don't think it's real. I think the entire rise is going to be uh, eradicated in this next decline. And again, I am not permanently bearish on the dollar. I've been bearish on the dollar for a long time. There may become a time where I become bullish. I am not permanently bearish. I'm not permanently anything. I am looking at the facts and making a judgment. But, you know, I've also been bearish on the U.S. economy. I mean, maybe they could say, oh, Peter, you're a permanent bear on the economy. And again, I may be bullish on the U.S. economy one day, but I've been bearish on the U.S. economy for a long time for valid fundamental reasons. And I think my bearishness has been correct. The U.S. economy has been very, very weak. It has not produced all the growth that so many experts 
believed it was going to produce. Yet they're never called perma bulls because they're bullish on the U.S. economy. And they're not called perma bulls because they're always bullish on the U.S. stock market. I mean, I, I, I get Scott Nations is probably always bullish. I don't know. I mean, maybe there's been a period of time where he's been bearish, but I'm sure that he has been bullish more often than I've been bearish. And so why isn't he a perma bull? Because that would somehow discredit him. But their job, the, what they're trying to do is give him credit for being a trader. And I'm not even sure what kind of trader he is. Maybe, you know, I don't know. What, I mean, he's a CNBC commentator. But I guess calling him a trader makes it sound like, oh, he knows what he does. He's a professional trader, right? He's trading. He's, you know, he must be smart because he's making a living trading. I mean, if he was such a great trader, what's he doing wasting time on CNBC? I mean, I think they probably pay him. And so if he needs that money, he can't be making that much money trading. I mean, I go on CNBC because I want to spread my message because I have a, a company where I offer, you know, I trade for the public, right? I, ha I take on new clients and I manage money for them and they use my services. So I do have a, a product to sell, but according to Scott, he's got nothing to sell. So why is he going on CNBC? He must be going on because he needs the money. And they, believe me, they don't pay a lot of money. So you can't be that successful if you go on CNBC because you need the money. But they want to they want to elevate his status and they want to diminish mine by calling me some mindless perma bear. And then they're saying, you know, that he ripped me. I mean, he didn't rip me anything. If anything, I ripped him a new one. If you actually look at the uh, the exchange between the two of us. Now, of course, they immediately want to book me on again. I haven't even. Uh, you know, agreed to this next uh, this next appearance. But for some reason, whenever I come on, I mean, that's the 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 attack dog that they that they bring out and then they they write an article about it. But hopefully things are going to change. In fact, I did get a recall. I'm talking to a reporter just from, uh, I guess, the business journal in Orange County because he wanted to write a, talk to me about the fact that our fund, the value fund, was the number one performing mutual fund in his category last year. And he wanted to interview me about having the number one fund. And I pointed out, you know, it's also the number one fund so far this calendar year. And yet didn't even realize that. And then he looked it up and said, yeah, right. It's number one in 2017. So it's number one in 2017 and it was number one in 20, 2016. But it was the, the worst fund in 2015. And he, he said, well, what's the, how do you do that? How do you go from being the worst fund to being the best fund? And, you know, it's actually... Pretty simple. I mean, the fund is designed to do well when the dollar goes down. And, you know, the dollar went way up in 2015, and that's why my funds went down. But I explained to this guy the difference between the way I manage money and the way most mutual funds manage money is most mutual fund managers cannot be the worst fund for a year. They, they can't take that risk because all they care about is short-term performance. They're afraid that they'll lose uh, their jobs that they'll lose too many accounts. So most of these mutual funds are really like closet index funds. I mean, nobody is that much different from anybody else. I mean, on the margin, the difference between most mutual funds is tiny. Because like if you outperform, if you're like 3% ahead of the medium, you're like number one fund. Because nobody really wants to go out on a limb. Nobody wants to actually take a real stance. But I do. Because I am so sure that I'm right. I am going to bet on what I believe is going to happen. And I don't care if I underperform in the short run. None of that matters to me because I know all of that is what's necessary in ultimately making money in the long run, which is what I care about. I care about absolute return. I don't care about short-term performance and then having it all evaporate with everybody else when the bubble pops. I want to have my winnings at the end of the game, right? It's like a poker game 
I don't care about winning a few hands early on, right? Because a lot of times people win hands early on, they go home broke. I want to be the guy who has all the chips at the end of the night, right? That's what I'm playing for. I'm playing for keeps. And I care about my clients because all the people that own my mutual fund, by and large, are my own clients. So we know who they are. And I care about long-term performance. And most of my clients understand that this is how you make big money, right? You have to understand where the conventional wisdom gets it wrong and then take the opposite side of the trade. But most mutual funds, they're going to be with the conventional wisdom. They don't have the guts to oppose the conventional wisdom because of the short-term implications that that has on their performance. And I, you know, I think all of my funds ultimately will go from you know, having one star because I have a couple of funds that have one star. Some funds, some of my funds have four and five stars, but I got some funds that Morningstar has one star on. I bet that in a few years, all those funds with one star are going to have five stars. You know, and of course, a lot of people will want to buy them when they have five stars, but they should buy them now while they still have one. They shouldn't wait for massive gains and then pile on. But but that's psychology. That's how that's how people generally work. But most month fund managers are not going to stick their neck out. But, you know, I think right now, if you use your brain, because most people are mindlessly buying just robotic programs, they're investing in index funds where nobody thinks, right? And over the last few years, being mindless was very profitable because anybody who thought too much thought themselves out of a short-term profit because it was just the fools that kept piling into overvalued stocks that propelled the indexes. And now you have even more and more people buying all these Vanguard-type funds. But I think that right now is the, the best opportunity to make money if you use your mind and if you think. Because so few people are doing it now. Because the people who are thinking and who understand, right, over the last few years, they have under underperformed the people who don't think and just robotically buy what everybody else is buying, no questions asked. And it's been harder and harder. And more professional money managers have been losing money because their clients are pulling money out and sending it more to these indexes because they're, they're too short-term focused. So when this whole thing blows up, Right. And all of a sudden, everybody's saying, well, God, nobody could have possibly predicted this. How did this happen? Right. Well, we're going to be prepared. Right. When things happen that nobody predicted and they say nobody else could have seen coming, we've seen it coming and we're prepared. And I think we're going to make tremendous profits. The key is to stick with the plan. Don't get don't get uh, sidetracked. Don't get bluffed out of the game just because a bubble has gotten bigger doesn't change the fact that it's a bubble and it doesn't mean that it's not going to pop. It's just the bigger it gets, the bigger it pops, the more air that comes gushing out of it and the more money the people make who had the foresight to recognize it for what it was and to position themselves to profit from the end game and not to simply have paper profits along with the masses that end up disappearing and 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 then all you have left of is the memory of profits you never took. I don't want the memory of paper profits. I want actual real profits that can make my life better and that can deliver a higher standard of living and quality of living uh, to myself and to my clients. Today's financial advisors behave like pro-wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. 
Looking beyond the media hype can open a world of broader investing ideas. Euro-Pacific Capital is a registered investment advisor that offers stock-focused wealth management services that closely follow the strategy of our founder and CEO, Peter Schiff. We concentrate on those countries that are more closely in tune with Peter's vision of how capitalism is supposed to work. And these investments are not hard to find, provided you know where to look. Isn't it time you change the channel and let Euro-Pacific put a little reality back into your portfolio? If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro-Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Euro-Pacific Capital and Euro-Pacific Bank are affiliated companies. Hi, this is Peter Schiff, and long before foreign governments were buying gold, I urged my clients to put 5 to 10% of their portfolios into physical precious metals. Despite gold's massive rise over the last decade, I still think that a 5 to 10% allocation to gold and silver is a smart investment decision. But buyers have to beware. Big TV gold dealers push all sorts of coins that are poor investments. Bait-and-switch deals, price protection guarantees, leveraged gold accounts. These are just a few of the sleazy tactics used to swindle inexperienced gold buyers. My gold company is different. We never offer a coin or bar unless I consider it to be a good investment. I want my customers to be educated. That's why I'm offering you a free research report exposing the biggest scams and ripoffs in the industry. Download my report, Classic Gold Scams, and how to avoid getting ripped off for free at goldscams.com. This report tells you everything you need to know about how to avoid losing thousands of dollars with scam gold dealers. It even tells you how to tell if a salesman is lying to you on the phone. This is a must-read for anyone considering a gold or silver investment. Download this free report today at goldscams.com. That's goldscams.com.